Friends, we are going back to 1991, spinning some yarns with some old friends, celebrating the 30th anniversary of Acura's breakthrough performance in endurance racing, big time endurance racing, their class victory, the IMSA GTP Lights class, also known as Camel Lights, victory at the 1991 Sunbank 24 Hours of Daytona, what we know today as the Rolex 24 at Daytona. What's unique about this victory of theirs? It was the very first race, their debut, the CompTech racing team out of the greater Sacramento area in Northern California, really and truly Acura's first factory program, something that we look back on uh, for those who happen to see it, all that they did and really truly respect this team put together by Doug Peterson, Don Erb, and a lot of good folks that made many miraculous things happen. In 91, 30 years ago, well, they showed up for their debut and won the freaking thing and didn't just win it by a little bit. 22 lap lead after 24 hours. Doug Peterson, as I mentioned, not only co-owner, but also one of the drivers, champion driver in particular in the smaller international sedan series. Parker Johnstone, someone who would go on to compete in kart, IndyCar series as well. Parker, the lead driver for sure. Two of my old bosses completing the driver rotation. Bob Lesnet, owner of Fife Ridge Racing, where I really grew up in the sport as a young mechanic, learning all the finer things about pro racing. And then right across from us at Sears Point, Steve Cameron, Cameron McGee Motorsports, which I worked for after Fife Ridge. Well, Steve, a.k.a. Kiwi, he was uh, the fourth member of that driver rotation. Oddly enough, funnily enough, awesomely enough, his nephew, Dane Cameron, happens to be a factory Acura driver trying to win this weekend on this 30th anniversary, competing in the number 60 Meyer Shank Racing. Again, factory Acura, Air X05 DPI. So for just poops and giggles, on this 30th anniversary, connected with Mr. Peterson, connected with Parker, who you will hear second. And then we close with Kiwi, talking about Dane, talking about his times. And I just hope you enjoy this. We're not winning any awards for this stuff. We're just trying to bring you stuff that I hope you enjoy and is fun. A little bit of distraction, get you revved up a little bit for the Rolex 24 at Daytona. So let's go back. Big, big day for Acura at this 24-hour race. Oh, and by the way, as you'll hear we speak about opening with Doug, they didn't actually finish the race, and yet they won the race. All right, let's get going with these guys. Doug Peterson, Parker Johnstone, Steve Cameron, all brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. There's a lot of new fans, Doug, a lot of kids who weren't born, uh, who are now, (laughs) you know, know. sports car. Yeah, who are now... (laughs) Sports car racing fans, maybe they're fans of the Acura DPI effort who uh, are unaware that you and your mighty fine CompTech team and all the, uh, you know, your partners and whatnot there, uh, you guys opened the books for Acura in terms of a 24-hour prototype victory back in 1991 with that delightful spice in that V6 naturally aspirated engine. So any memories come to mind from that 1991 event, which uh, 
I mean, it just ranks as an amazing thing knowing you won your class in GTP Lite on your race debut for Acura without actually uh, taking the checkered flag. That was embarrassing, yes. Yeah, we had a... um, Don't ask me what it was because I don't remember. But yeah, like four or five laps from the end, three laps from the end, something like that, it shut off going into the... I don't know the corner number coming on to the, the banking. It shut off somewhere down over there. And uh, so, yeah, we didn't finish like the last three laps of the race. I'm glad it wasn't Lamar. <laughs> oh. And what was, was, what was impressive, Doug, just the raw speed going up against whether it's Jim Downing and the, you know, can't kill him Mazda lights, cars, or some of the Buick powered vehicles and such. I mean, there was stiff opposition in 91, but you guys, wow, you had some speed you could unleash when you wanted. Well, the car was, uh, it was a, you know, it was kind of a, I don't know how much detail you want to go into here, but it's kind of a last minute thing. And we didn't even get an engine from Honda till I think the 8th of December. And then we thrashed like mad because we basically used a Ferrari Spice had a, a Ferrari bell, a bell housing they had cast up for the Ferrari engine, V8 engine in the Spice. And we used that bell housing and we had to make a, an adapter. And so once the engine showed up on the 8th of December, we sat down and designed and fabricated all the parts because, you know, the NSX engine's really wide. So we had to make the, the bulkhead at the back of the tub wider. We made a special plate to widen it. And a uh, lot of special stuff. So we thrashed it. I drove it around the uh, park. It, and when the engine showed up on the 8th of December, three Japanese engineers from Honda showed up with it. And they spent the rest of the month of December there with us. Wow. Um, just kind of a, observing until it became time to fire the engine up and helping us with little stuff. And then um, uh, Christmas Eve... I drove it around the parking lot of our shop in Rancho Cordova, drove it up and down Mercantile Drive. <laughs> yeah. And then we tried to get Sears Point to open for testing on Christmas Day, and they wouldn't. So we went up the day after Christmas, beat the car around the track, and then came back, looked it over, threw it in the trailer to head to the, um, you know, the January test. We had no time, and thankfully, it all worked out. We did 900 miles of testing on that January three-day test with no major problems. Just, you know, it was a big difference getting the car sorted out because the engine's heavy, and it's got a high center of gravity compared to the Pontiac four-cylinder that we'd run at Del Mar, you know, in, in 1990. Yeah. So it took a little bit of playing around with the suspension and all, but... You know, Parker, you know, we let Parker do all 99% of that testing during the, uh, the January test. And we got it sorted out, you know, obviously pretty well. And, and, uh, um, and then, yeah, on the race weekend, I remember it rained a lot here and there. Cause I think in, I don't remember now. It did. I think qualifying, qualifying, I believe was in the rain or it was wet at least or damp, I think. I don't remember, but, uh, 
I remember it raining in the race because I had to drive. I was driving out there at three o'clock in the morning in the rain saying, what the hell am I doing out here? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, our car would do the speed part of it's interesting. You know, our car would do right at 180 on the banking. I don't know what the other car, you know, the other lights cars were doing, but I just remember the Nissan, the Nismo Nissan's passing it like us at like 230 or something on the banking. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, but yeah, the car ran, you know, we had troubles. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we had a, uh, you know, that rear, I don't, Bob Lesnick was driving at something like one or two in the morning and we had like a five lap lead and the right rear or left rear suspension um, wheel bearing went yeah and and that when the wheel cocked it it was the bbs and the lower ball joint just cut through the room and the tire blew and ripped the whole left corner off the car and luckily we had a complete rear assembly but i i i don't think we used it i think we just we pulled the left rear suspension off and put it on and put a new body shell on the back and duct taped it all together and I believe we were 17 as we are 17 laps behind when we restarted I we just put Parker in there and said go qualify for several hours yeah we had we had nothing to lose and you know unfortunately you know I realized we had some breaks because other guys ran into trouble but by the morning we were back I believe by seven or eight in the morning we were back in the lead there was uh, a gearbox like problem in the, there was a gearbox issue in there as well. So it wasn't, uh, well, it wasn't a, a free run to, uh, to victory for sure. It, there was a attrition involved seemingly with almost all the, uh, front running cars in the class, but then right, the strength right. of the teams and having to, how quickly can you recover was also a part of your, uh, your story. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously having, you know, contrary to what everybody thought, Tom Elliott at that time was still being pretty careful budget wise. <laughs> we really didn't have a huge amount of money to spend. You know, I mean, I guess relative to what other people were spending, it probably was, but yeah, we managed to between collecting used parts and stuff, we managed to build up a complete rear, uh, you know, suspension assembly and had enough spare parts to, to get it to the finish. And so this, uh, this achievement, Doug, I mean, it was done with a team that, you know, as a Bay area guy, you guys are local legends seeing obviously all the success you'd had in, uh, tin top, you know, touring cars and whatnot with Integras and, you know, uh, CRXs, if I think maybe before, but you know, you guys were a well-honed, well-drilled professional racing team. That wasn't in question, but the stepping up to the top tiers of IMSA, GTP, GTO, you know, this era of, wow, this is real hardcore racing. That I also thought was a pretty magnificent thing. Not just that you won for Acura getting their first 24-hour prototype win, but also just a bit of a showing that, hey, guess what? Uh, you can be very good in little, you know, relatively low-powered touring cars, be very professional there, and have the skill of that team transfer upwards. And, hey, we just won the freaking Sunbank 24 Daytona <laughs> in, in GTP yeah. lights. No, it, you know, 
I give all the, I mean, when Tom Elliott had us, signed us to do the Integra program in 86, um, you know, that was a, that was a huge compliment for us that he would, that something like American Honda would trust us to do it. And thankfully between, you know, the team we had and Parker and whatever, we were able to deliver him several championships. And, uh, but the biggest thing, I can't emphasize this enough, is that Tom was willing to give us a chance to step up. You're right, step up for running international sedans to a Camel Lights car. Because I am sure when word rumor got out that, you know, he had proposals from everybody. <laughs> you know, this was American Honda getting into this kind of racing. And, you know, he was willing to give us a chance to, to do it. And I don't underestimate that at all. I mean, that was a big leap of faith for him. Um, Cause you know, he had a, you know, he, he had a lot, he was pretty much a one man band back then, as far as, you know, getting Honda back into racing. There were a lot of people that weren't, you know, eco, you know, economic times weren't that great back then. And, he had a lot of resistance within Honda about spending money to do this. So the fact that he was willing to take that chance on us is not missed by me. <laughs> Another thing that I, I appreciate, and maybe you could share a little bit of insight about this, the driver rotation, right? They're, instead of going after some big name, famous sports car uh, pilots and whatnot, uh, or having some drivers from either Honda Japan or otherwise foisted upon you, this was staying relatively local. No Steve Cameron's originally from New Zealand, yep. but Sears Point guy, Sears Point shop, Bob Lesnett, my longtime yep. boss, Sears Point guy, Sears yep. Point <laughs> shop, yourself, obviously, Parker, right? Um, tell me about this this four-driver lineup. It's diverse, uh, guys, you know, Lesnet, open wheel, uh, small sports prototypes, uh, Cameron really just pretty much only an open wheel guy with a little bit of sports 2000 experience. It was a pretty eclectic lineup you had there. Darn it. Sure. Certainly worked. Yeah. Well, we, you know, it's interesting. Steve's name came up, uh, obviously Parker. We, that was a, a known commodity and, you know, at that time, I didn't want it to be an ego. And I, I pretty much quit after Sebring because I didn't want to – I needed to manage the thing. And I, I wasn't as good a driver as Parker. I knew that. But, um, you know, I wanted to do it. And, you know, and so for, that's the biggest accomplishment of my driving career for sure. Um, but, yeah, Steve, we watched – and this is kind of the Imps ladder system. I remember watching Steve Cameron – in the Barber Dodge series. Yeah, Barber Saab, I think, back then, yeah. Or Saab, yeah. When we were running the Integras, he was doing really well in that, and he was a local guy. And so I didn't know him, but I just gave him a blind – we gave him a call, and uh, I don't remember the details. I probably talked to Parker about it. I don't remember because you, you want everybody to get along. Um, and, uh, and same with Bob. You know, they were both good, fast drivers, and but nobody had a no giant egos. You know what I mean? It sure. just 
I, I knew it would. I knew it would make for a. Uh, uh, nobody doesn't go out there and try and and beat the car to death, put the team at risk by trying to prove, you know, a selfish goal. And you know, we talked about that before the race. You know, obviously before I before any of them came on is look, this isn't. You know, we we have to finish this race for Honda. This isn't about you. <laughs> it's about the car and American Honda, Acura. And, um, but, yeah, and everybody did an outstanding job, you know, and no complaints at all. Last question or two, Doug. So looking back now, 30 years ago, getting <laughs> Acura's first 24-hour win uh, in this prototype, they're chasing – a follow-up to that. Uh, they've had success at Le Mans class victory. It wasn't under the Acura badge, but if we're talking at home, the big annual 24 hour sports car race that everybody wants to win, they're looking, still looking to add to the achievements, uh, of the original factory Acura, uh, program. Any thoughts on pride or just appreciation for the fact that you guys did not so bad 30 years ago and heck the guys running the factory stuff today they're still fighting hard to emulate you and they're hoping to have a good result this weekend but uh they haven't quite gotten there yet well i think it's let's be honest the competition is an order of magnitude tougher now you know the cars you know even back 30 years ago you couldn't run virtual qualifying times for a race. You know, we were running, you know, we did at times, you know, and the car survived, but you had to be more careful back then. And so I don't you know, underestimate the difficulty in winning some of these races nowadays, because it, it, granted there aren't a lot of cars, but the competition between them is pretty fierce. And in our day, you know, there, I don't think it was, it wasn't as competitive, but still you're right. It was a big deal to be able to go up against Jim Downing and the Mazas, which are ultra reliable and the Buicks, which were fast and be able to pull off the win. It was a huge deal for us. (laughs) Last thing, Doug, and this is kind of a cool connection of past to present that Kiwi guy, Steve Cameron, great mechanic, uh, you know, famous photos and footage of him at Sebring, uh, working on, uh, the gearbox, right. You know, uh, <laughs> one year as well, prep shop guy. Uh, I used to work for Steve at Sears point and, uh, Steve's brother, Ricky was there, uh, often as well. And I remember this little kind of mop headed two or three year old kid by the name of Dane, uh, Ricky's son, Dane being there. Well, Funnily enough, uh, 30 years later, we have a Cameron yet again, factory driver for Acura, trying to bring them that 24-hour win uh, this weekend in Daytona. How much do you appreciate the fact that, uh, you know, it's not a a John Stone or a Peterson in the car, but there is still a a link to one of your guys from uh, when you opened that 24-hour account for Acura? That, I think that is really cool. I mean, the fact that, what are the chances? I mean, you know, what are the chances of something like that happening? 
pretty darn remote. And yeah, I hope he can do it. That would be, yeah, 30 years on, if he could win the race, that would be really exciting. Thought it would be fun, Parker, to look back 30 years, which is what we celebrate this weekend with this new running of the Rolex 24 back uh, when you and the CompTech team won the GTP Lights class in 1991. This was opening an account for Acura, its first 24-hour prototype win, at least in the modern era. They're continuing to chase and add another with their ARX05 Acura DPIs today. But why don't you take us back to this 1991 achievement where of the many things that stood out, you qualified on pole in the rain by 6.9 seconds in the lights class, which has to be, I, I, you must have changed your shorts nine times on that lap because I don't know how you do that in the rain at Daytona and not have a nervous breakdown. Well, you know, it's interesting because it's, it's the run up to the, the Rolex um, that that stands out because you know the previous year had been hired um, by Julian Randles at the Spice Factory to fill in for Fermin Velez uh, because he had a contract dis- dispute with Julian, um, and so I was the driver to come in and support Tomas Lopez in his run for the championship, and so I, I slipped into a, a Buick Spice. Um, I think we were on the pole for three times, won twice, and finished second once. If, if if that's correct. And so I was very comfortable with the cars and my driving style with that particular era of ground effects uh, just seemed to blend perfectly. Um, and then we, um, the contact team, and I was, I was given a waiver, uh, given that I, I was and I, I, I have been the only driver that was contracted by Honda directly as the factory driver. And then because I had been placed with contact for a few years at that point, um, Tom Elliott at Honda, um, gave me permission to go drive uh, for Spice uh, in preparation for what he had already planned, which was the uh, purchase of the Whitehall, or purchase of a Camel Lights chassis, which happened to be the, um, you know, the burned down Whitehall car, um, which was fitted with a four-cylinder Pontiac engine, which was, you know, from my understanding, was an um, agricultural uh, water pump motor for <laughs> purposes. Um, and so slid into that because you wanted the team to get some experience, um, you know, in the GTP ranks, which was certainly a step up from the sedan series that we've been racing in the last, the, the previous four years. Um, and I had run Atlantic and some other things. So I was, you know, I had, I had been racing with other teams and, you know, at that point with, uh, a Corvette and the Playboy and Escort series and in the Firehawk series. So I was bouncing all over the place, but, you know, Comtech was my home. Uh, and that's where I won the first uh, couple of championships for Acura um, and the Honda championship earlier in, in uh, the GT4 car that they built. Um, and so when we got the Pontiac, uh, other than massive difference in drivability, uh, torque coming off corners, uh, smoothness, um, there was a bit of a handling advantage because the engine was lighter. The mass was you know, centered, basically, and we ended up at Del Mar and qualified on the pole and won that race. And so for some reason in my, my – uh, brain at, at that moment it's like well of course because that's what you hired me to do um and this is what we're paid to do which is to to win polls and win races so unfortunately for me not having the proper perspective that people spend their entire careers trying to get a class or overall win at daytona and it eludes an awful lot of drivers we showed up at daytona um it was december 7th when the uh, nsx motor first ran at the contact shops um and 
and I'm looking at the difference between, because being an engineer, I, I'm looking at the difference between the installation of the Pontiac, the Buick, which I've driven, and now I'm looking at this NSX engine, which is considerably bulkier, if you will, um, weighs more, you know, the CG's higher. Um, and, and I went, well, I mean, we're going to get this done. And uh, we tested um, the day after Christmas was on the 26th at Sears Point, I think was the first test. Because uh, my daughter was born on the twenty fourth, wow, uh, and which was not very popular with my my family to to leave um, on Christmas Day to end up going testing at Sears. Um, but what I noticed immediately with the NSX engine is is it had a very smooth, broad power band. It didn't have the torque of the Buicks. Um, it was a bit more difficult to handle uh, just because of the increase in size and weight and and where it was placed. But we get to Daytona, um, and like I said, at that point. Uh, prior to, I hadn't had any major accidents, hadn't been hurt in any other way or form. And, and of course, at some point, as you know, talking to so many drivers, I was invincible. And uh, there's a synergy uh, between me and the car. It was just, it was, it was absolutely right for for me. Um, and so the rain at Daytona and qualifying, it's just one of those things that I I don't remember a moment. Uh, of being out of just deep focus and concentration of just being on it, trying to bring the absolute most out of the car um, and, and put together um, a couple of great laps actually, but, but one in particular, like you said, that was significantly faster. Well, of course, any competitor in the paddock would say, Oh my goodness, these people have, you know, they've got obviously hundreds more horsepower than the rest of us. And, and not knowing at that point, I was the only driver to have, have run, obviously the NSX engine, but the Buick and the Pontiac within just a few months of each other. Um, and so I had a very good uh, ABC comparison. I, I never got to drive the Ferrari, but I, having watched it on track, I have a, a pretty good feel for how that power unit uh, went. So, you know, there we are in the race. Obviously, I'm, I'm the, the lead driver, um, and Doug had always said, and, and now it had been confirmed by Steve Cameron and by Bob Lesnet that the car was horribly loose, and how do I drive it that way? <laughs> which, I thought, which was just the balance that I liked. Um, and then when Dan came, Jimmy Vassar came in, in the following years, they said the same thing, like, you're insane. Like, how do you drive this thing? It's like, what do you mean? It turns in very quickly, and you better be on the throttle. And they went, you're you're nuts. So n- having never had a teammate in the same car until that point, I didn't know that that's how I set cars up. Um, and so I got that dialed back for the race, but for qualifying, um it was just wicked quick um then in the race we had a good start we were trying to be smart at that point i had run uh 15 24-hour races in my career so i was familiar with long distance racing and um doug had the meeting at my request to make sure that all the drivers uh, understood that trying to one up one another uh, was only going to lower our chances of success and I was very fortunate, not only in 91, but in the following years, uh, to have teammates. Um, Steve Cameron, hugely underrated. Dan Marvin, hugely underrated. Um, you know, Jimmy Vassar eventually got what he what he deserved uh, as in the form of an IndyCar championship. But still, I had, I had drivers that were mature enough and quick enough and easy on equipment so that when I got out of the car uh, after double stenting and got in, you know, three hours later, the car was as, exactly as I left it. And I can tell you from my other 24-hour experience, you know, drivers, no matter what they say in the meeting, are trying to prove that they're the quickest and will, and will uh, probably unknowingly 
Um, but they do. They put so much stress on the car trying to be the quickest that, that they they damage the car for a 24-hour haul. And as you're aware at Daytona, you know, when you're there not far from winter solstice and the race starts at 3 o'clock and you only have an hour and a half or two hours of sunlight left and you go into the dark, when the sun comes up in the morning, you go, hey, we're close and nothing is farther from the truth. Oh. You still have a very long ways to go. And, and I, you know, so more of the race is in the dark, at least that's when all the quick times are turned and that's when a lot of the pounding goes on. And I've never understood why that race doesn't start at, at 10 o'clock or at least noon, but I, I digress. So um, the the only major drama that we had is that we lost, uh, from my, my recollection, is uh, while Bob Lesnar was driving, um, he was unaware that a wheel bearing was, was failing, which to this day none of us can understand how there was an instantaneous catastrophic failure without any, any warning. But I, they came and got me because at that point we had gone down. And when I came back out, my beautiful race car looked like Frankenstein's monster um, at that point with, uh, you know, the roof deck having been blown off and, and all the damage that had been done. Um, and so <clears throat> at some point, and I, st- I think this was probably, I was thinking about this the other day, it was a transitional stage where, you know, in, in decades prior um you really had to pace yourself there was no thing no such thing as running flat out for hours at a time because the 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 mechanical aspects of the car just wouldn't tolerate it well it turns out one of the one of the great um what i want to say the this the stellar qualities of the nsx motor is with the buick and the particularly the pontiac which i shouldn't even talk about anymore is that you could run them hard in qualifying, but you couldn't run them at that level for long periods of time, whereas the NSX just ran what it ran. So there was no difference between qualifying and the race. The revs you had are the revs you had. The power you had is the power you had. Um, and I was given the green light by Doug Peterson and Don Herb to go. Um, and so there was there was a very long, successive number of qualifying laps uh, that occurred Um and fortunately, um, I had done enough testing over the time of, of spending, and, and you're aware of other drivers where, you know, you, you're in the car at sunup at Firebird, and you start testing, and you get out of the car to go to the bathroom and grab something to eat at noon, and you're back in until it's so dark you can't see anymore. Um, and every one of those laps has to be absolutely on the limit. So I was, I was very uh, keen to be given, uh, have the leash taken off and just go. Um, and the next, the next thing that I was aware of is we, we won the race and this is my, my biggest regret about that entire experience is I was standing on the podium and everyone was very excited and and overwhelmed. And all I was thinking about is the next test day that we had coming up, uh, and the next race, um, instead of taking a moment to actually enjoy standing on the podium at Daytona. And taking it all in. As soon as I crossed the checkered flag, I, you know, I got on the radio and congratulated the guys and thanked them. And on my in-lap, I was already processing, you know, what turn one's going to be like, how many gear changes we've got, how I want the car set up. And that continued all the way through the victory podium. Um, and actually, I, it, was, it wasn't until years later I reflected back and said, what a wasted moment, what a wasted opportunity that was not to have just enjoyed it in the moment. Um, and, and that is overwhelmingly, uh, my memory from that race is not, not understanding how, uh, what a privilege it was to, to have the opportunity 
um, to take advantage of the success that had been achieved in basically our first race. Um, so our second race is a, as a camel light team. So, um, you know, and then years later I got to drive a Buick again, by the way, this is, it has nothing to do with that, but I drove the, the Buick again and went, wow, this, what a great motor this is. Wow. <laughs> it's like it handles so well. And actually Taz Harvey, who I know pretty well, who bought, um, the 92 car and bought the, uh, the, uh, AT&T car. I'm sitting in a Mazda that I purchased from Taz. Good friend. I'm actually sitting right across from his uh, little toter home that he hauls his race cars around in. So Yeah, the Renegade, right? Yep. So it was funny because Taz, Taz drove the Buick at Laguna, and, and he'd call me every time he got out of the car. It's like, this is phenomenal, and I can't wait to drive the Acura because obviously it's so much better. So he ends up selling the, the Buick. He gets in the Acura, and I get this call. and goes, hey, this thing's not as fast. Yeah. And I went, I told you. He goes, yeah, but you guys won all those races. And you did. I went, and? Well, it had to be the motor. I'm like, no. Wow. It was it was one of those things. He was just heartbroken because he knew it's like, man, once I get in that NSX, he said it doesn't stop as well. It doesn't handle as well. I went, I know. And he goes, it doesn't have any pull coming off the corners. I went, I know. But it was like, Taz, I told you. And it's, it was, I felt so bad for him. It's like he just knew it had to be the engine. Now, wow. having said that, like I said, the, the, the stellar quality of the NSX engine was its ability to run at its limit every time you drove the car. And, and the Buicks couldn't do that. Or if they did, they took a real chance of having a mechanical uh, problem. So two things I'd love to uh, close on, Parker. One is what you just what you mentioned this isn't something where you and the comp tech team spent years and years and years developing this spice acura package and then finally won the big one in class at daytona uh you guys set a rather high achievement bar from the outset which i think has to be recognized and appreciated and secondly 30 years since you guys opened this account for Acura in prototypes at the uh, 24 Hours of Daytona, they're still trying to add uh, a victory uh, to what you all achieved. And I think that just speaks to, once again, the quality of this original factory program. Uh, you helped you and others help spearhead. Well, to your first point... Um when we showed up at the track, whether it was in the sedan days or in camel light days for those three years, um, it, but it, it's, it was always my perspective until 1997, and there was a big shift, which was a, a, a massive mistake. I never went to the track with any other expectation than to qualify on the pole and win the race. There was never a thought of, well, you know, it's, you know, like smart guys, well, I shouldn't say smart guys, but, but uh, wise Wise drivers in IndyCar, like Rick Mears, will be the first to tell you, hey, if you can get it home fifth in every single race, you'll win the championship. At least that's the way it used to be uh, with with attrition. It's like, so don't fight for third when you take a huge risk of where fourth would have been just fine and would have gotten you the championship. I never thought that way, and we as a team never thought that way. If we didn't qualify on the pole, I mean – it's like, and it wasn't a, it wasn't a matter of, uh, you know, it's one of those things. It wasn't about winning. It was about not losing, but I was furious that someone even dared to consider that they thought that they should have the pole position. Like it's, it'd be like, 
you know, someone stealing your wife or your girlfriend. It's like, what? Like, I was just incensed when that happened. Um, and then, of course, uh, the preparation um, that Doug and Don oversaw and the expectations of the mechanics uh, as far as uh, what was required. Um, you know, in the years since, I've been asked to drive a lot of different cars. And the problem is, is that the bar was set with their preparation. And I look at these cars like I'm not getting in it. Like, I, I don't say that in a, in a mean or rude way, but there was, although we didn't always had, have the freshest parts, we made sure that everything was done to the, the highest level possible. And so we won a couple of races over the years that we never should have uh, won. There was one at Topeka where we had a flywheel fall apart, and I felt like I was in a, a hardware store paint shaker. Oh, jeez. Uh, and and you know and and bless Don Herb. It's like Don, this thing's coming apart. I mean, it was it was horrific. It was like having a fifty cal machine gun behind me, just the banging and the knocking. And Don said, "If that thing's going forward, you know, keep your foot in it." And I was like, "Yes, sir. Uh, here we go." Um, and so there were a couple of those where we actually won, and then of course there were a few races that we should have won that we didn't because. You know, something silly happened. Um, you know, it's, it'd be like Teofabi and Indy back, I think it was the early 80s, when they had a, um, uh, a filler gasket, you know, a, a dollar filler gasket O-ring fail. Um, um, and we had a couple of those, which was just, you know, the, the vendor gave us a brand new part, and the brand new part failed, which had never failed before, because that's the one we got. Um, but... Every single race, we never thought about. In fact, we had greater ex expectations at Lime Rock um, until I was put on my head by Wayne Taylor. We were running third overall, and I don't mean by accident because of pit stops. We were in the top three. The same thing happened at Mid-Ohio for a period of time before, and I can't remember what happened there. But we were, even at Daytona, we weren't racing the Camel Light cars, although we were. We were going after Roush's GTO cars. I mean, um, I think it was Tom Kendall at the time, um, and I think Scott may have been in the car as well. But we had a flat-out race at the end of Daytona. I think it was in 92 with those guys, and I think Robbie was in the car, and it was a matter of of one of those things. It's not about just Camel Light. We want to beat these guys, um, which obviously at Daytona is an interesting thing. You come out of bus stop, and you're, you know, you're going through their trunk, and then all of a sudden you know, the, the 4 V8 gets the power down, and you go, dang it. And then you catch them under braking in turn one. You know, it's one of those deals. It's the, you know, two very dissimilar classes that were very close in lap times in race conditions. Um, but that was always the expectation at Comtech. We weren't there to show up. We were there to win and win everything that we could. Uh, and our expectations were that we'd win everything. And I know that sounds, it can sound prideful or arrogant, but that's where the bar was set. And the Acura engine is what provided the consistency for us to be able to do that because you can't go testing and you can't win pulls and race wins if you don't have uh, a motor that's going to be there for you the entire time um i think we set the all-time uh, most uh, what string of pole positions at 14 um which uh, over the i think that was 92 into the 93 season which only stopped because we had a, a failure at elkhart lake uh, as i rolled out for qualifying which was I mean, for other teams, that happens frequently. For us, it's devastating because we just didn't have failures. Um, and that was, you know, a, a testimony to Don Herb and Doug Peterson and then back to Acura just because 
if the power plant's running, you can test and you can test all day long and make lots of improvements and make lots of progress. And you can win races if that thing's running and other people are having problems. Or at least, you know, you don't have to worry about it. Um, it's not a matter of having to short shift. Uh, be careful with throttle applications. Be careful on your downshifts. So it wasn't it wasn't tolerance of any abuse of any sort. Uh, like even the recording you did at Laguna in 2015, if you listen to that audio, um, you, every single shift up and down is exactly the same. We're pretty close to it. Um, whereas I've watched some onboards from SBRA and some other places, and I go, ooh, you just hear bad noises coming from the gearbox, and it's like, ooh, that's, oh, that just hurts me. Oh. <laughs> uh, but... But the guys at ComTech, I mean, they put together a great car. And when Bricks showed up in 93, um, they got brand new engines and we got their rebuilds. And that's why Doug and Don kept the team afloat because we were never flush in, in, in money. That was never the case. Uh, but they just, they made the most out of the resources they had. How about looking back 30 years, Parker, knowing that, uh, again, you guys helped set the standard for Acura in terms of 24-hour prototype achievement here in the U.S. And, uh, Lord, if there's one thing Honda Performance Development folks, the Acura Motorsports folks want, it is to get another 24-hour victory at Daytona. Has to be some pride, I would imagine, knowing that uh, they're wanting to add to your legacy. It's still a, a tall mountain to climb. Well, it is, because the thing is, you can do everything right. You can have the best equipment, the best drivers, the best strategy, the best plan. And all it takes is a missed time to overtake. And one of the, the smaller classes not seeing you, uh, given the closing distance and also the disparity in driving talent that happens at Daytona. Um, and and that's one of those things that, you know, you can be Elio Castroneves. It doesn't make any difference. Um, you know, Juan Montoya, some of these great drivers with tons of experience, um, you know, especially if you come from a series like um, if you're if you're in that series and driving uh, weekend and weekend out with the same guys in your class, that's one thing. But Daytona, you've got a, a different group of drivers once a year. Uh, we always used to enjoy it because of the it's the first time that the GTU, GTO classes that we were all on the track at the same time and the Andretti's would come or the Unsers would come. And so it was fun to be able to be on the track with with other uh, I, I want to say almost peers, but peers that you didn't get to race with because you were in, you know, different series or different classes. But then again, you also have someone that's, you know, it's gone through the Russell school or the Bonnerant school and it's done a couple of club races and they've, you know, they found their way into a, you know, a Porsche at, at Daytona. And that's, that's a scary proposition. Um, and, and it's something like that that can, that can snatch that dream right out from your, your grasp in pursuit of, you know, all the, of, you know, of winning that race when everyone's done everything possible at the highest level. Um, and it takes one miscue, uh, someone with a, a mechanical or an engine problem in front of you and it puts you into the fence because you were the first one on the scene. Um, it's, it looks easy or it's on paper, but in reality, it's, it's a very difficult achievement. Um, but it's, it's nice to know that after all these years, we were remembered because for a while there, I think we were, <laughs> we were forgotten. Um, and I think the commemorative uh, paint scheme that uh, Penske did for us was tremendous. Uh, it was nice to have the recognition at the 2019 Monterey reunion was was great. And I just, you know, they've got a great group of folks at HPD and the teams that are involved are absolutely, you know, world class. 
as far as preparation and, and driving. And so <clears throat> you take all that into account and it's, it's a good bet, but at the same time, there are so many variables, um, you know, who knows? I do know that the driver's, if they win, at least have the maturity and the perspective that they will stand on the podium for Acura, uh, relishing that moment, which is something I wish I would have done 30 years ago. Steve Cameron, you, uh, you're a little bit of a serious point hero to some of us, having uh, done good on the local scene and then gone and done some big stuff on the big scenes in IMSA and whatnot. So other than having the good fortune of working for you back in the day, know that I always took pride in what you'd achieved in IMSA. And here we are, 30-year anniversary of this debut win for the CompTech Acura Camel Lights team, winning your class at the 1991 24 Hours of Daytona. Spoke with Parker Johnstone earlier today, Doug Peterson. Parker, in particular, said, hey, if you speak to Steve... Just tell him how much I appreciated him, how good he was, how just nothing but flowery compliments about you. What do you remember from this 91 race, Kiwi, and, and this big, momentous thing for Acura? Uh, you know, I've been running the Atlantic program, and I never run uh, a sedan before. So, you know, it was intimidating. Uh, there was a huge factory presence. So I think the biggest thing is you didn't want to be the guy that made a mistake. So, you know, Parker was a lead and he, and he did an awesome job. Uh, for me, it was about making sure that um, you delivered. You know, they, they set uh, parameters for, for speed that we need to make. And uh, for me, it was a huge opportunity. You know, you wanted to showcase your talent. You wanted to hope that, uh, like everybody, that you were picked up by a factory. So um, the idea was to get in there, do a really good job, and hope that you know you you could build a relationship that would last with them. And I know we're talking about ninety one. Uh, mm-hmm. You want to talk about building a relationship? Yeah, it worked. Uh, you came back. You got to hoist another trophy. Um, yep. Second go round. There's some famous footage of you. I think Chris Mellon there as well, coaching uh, or air quote coaching. Not like you needed coaching mechanically uh, at Sebring. Uh, you know, race car driver slash gearbox uh, mechanic as well i mean you really got yourself stuck in with this comptech acura program and its formative days what was that like mate because again i know you said you wanted to but you actually became a really valuable contributor yeah i mean it was great because we got uh we actually ran 91 92 and 93 and 93 i was i was really excited about because i think we'd we'd peered down to a little bit smaller uh, team of drivers it was myself i think jimmy vassa was on the team i was on the team and uh actually i just uh, i flew back that week from new zealand I'd just done the uh, new zealand grand prix and uh a little disappointed i finished third in that but it was a uh it was a big weekend uh where i was racing against actually josper staff in that weekend who who then went on to uh obviously claim fame in Formula One. So I raced New Zealand Grand Prix. I flew back to the uh, States. We, we ran that race. And unfortunately, the car broke in the, the, the uh, I think, the first or second hour. But, you know, it was a shame the program went away. I was, I was like everybody, hoping that it would, you know, continue on. But um, I, I think the ability to run with a, a factory team, to run with drivers of the caliber of Parker and Vass, it was just, you know, super exciting. And, 
you, you know, you get memories. And I think the only thing that really breaks my heart is in, in those days in 91 and 92, if you we won your class, you didn't get a Rolex. So I'm still still waiting for my Rolex. (laughs) Well, that ties into my final question, Kiwi. And, you know, maybe we got to pay some respect here. So uh, our boy Dane Cameron, your uh, your brother Ricky's son, who grew up in and around Cameron McGee Motorsports and whatnot, he just posted recently on social media saying, you know, the only thing missing really from uh, the Acura experience so far uh, being a factory driver in their IMSA DPI program as he's going after a Rolex this weekend. I don't know if he does win. Maybe he needs to pass it on to Uncle Steve because uh, you laid the foundation. A little bit kidding. You know, I don't think he's going to give up the watch. But what comes to mind, mate, knowing that uh, Dane continuing this tradition, seeing that Cameron name still at Daytona on the side of a factory Acura prototype, I'm guessing there has to be a lot of pride there here 30 years later. Yeah, I mean, I'm super proud of Dane. I mean, he's, a, you know, he's an awesome driver. And, and, and as you know, you've, you've got to know him. He's a, he's a very humble uh, person. He uh, works extremely hard. Uh, actually, I, I posted a little note today because it was really difficult. I've got Ricky, who engineers the uh, JDC car, and Dane and the Acura. And I was like, man, who do I root for this weekend? So, <laughs> and ultimately, I, I, I think it's got to be Dane. I've got to hope that, you know, we get another Cameron, uh, you know, there on the podium at uh, Daytona. And uh, obviously, you know, it's actually the last couple of years, we've, we've had a few uh, photo ops where uh, Dane and I have, have uh, been able to get some photos next to the Penske. And, and obviously, I think the, the thing that was the most exciting about that was that they had done the uh, retro paint job on the Penske Acura yeah. and uh, mimicking the Comtech car. So I, I think for me, seeing him in that car in those colors was something that, you know, like I say, 30 years later was just a, an amazing uh, thing to see. Well, I'm going to keep pushing our friends at Acura. Dane, even today, he's like, tell whoever you talk to if they have an old uh, Spice Acura camel lights car i want to drive it it's on my bucket list we need to talk to acura and do a cameron and cameron car swap of letting dane go out in one of your old uh daytona winning cars and maybe you can go take a few laps in uh, his factory acura today i think that might be a pretty awesome little production yeah, I think I'd be pretty excited to drive that car. And, uh, you know, I'm not quite sure that I'd have the pace of day in, the, in that car anymore, but I, I would certainly give it a try. Well, don't tell me that, Kiwi. I've seen you blow the doors <laughs> off of people, so Dane might pick up a thing or two. 